Hello, I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of Comic Book Herald, and I am joined today for a special edition of Creanitators, the podcast I do here interviewing some of my favorite creators by Carrie Harris, the author of the upcoming X-Men Liberty and Justice for All prose novel. That's right. It is, in fact, a, a book without pictures. <laughs> this is something I am unfamiliar with and, and unused to covering, but it was uh, it was a good time. I got to read it before it is out officially on, I think it's going to be November 3rd, if I have that right. And this is part of, uh, it's from Aconite Books, the publisher, and it's a Xavier's Institute novel. So they've, they've got some Marvel books coming out, and we're going to talk specifically about Carrie's work on X-Men Liberty and Justice for All. So Carrie, thanks so much for joining. Let me ask you off the bat, how did you get started on this project? Uh, it, it was actually kind of a weird road. Um, Aconite was originally doing um, novels for uh, games, tie-in novels for games. Sure. And I worked in the tabletop game industry. I've done tie-in novels before. Um, it's really kind of my sweet spot. And so uh, I started working with them. And it was like a week after I signed uh, signed up with them, they announced their Marvel partnership. Nice. And um, I immediately sent them a message and said, please, please, please let me write something. I will show up on your doorstep and cosplay if that's what I have to do. Just <laughs> give me a chance. You're like, I've already sewed the costume. That's I'm right. <laughs> I'm ready. So um, they have a number of lines. There's the X-Men line. There's also um, Marvel Untold, which is untold stories about villains. They have an Asgard series and a Marvel heroine series. Mm -hmm. And so you got to pick which one um, you wanted to pitch for, and X-Men was my first superhero love. So for me, there was no question. Awesome, awesome. So yeah. have you been, um, it was your first superhero love. Is it something you have kept up with? Was it something you were into when you were younger? Kind of what's your road as an X-Fan? Yeah, well, you know, I first came to X-Men because of the television shows. I lived in a mm -hmm. tiny little town that did not have a comic shop. Um, we had one bookstore that had one spinny rack with comics on it, mm. um, which appeared to be um, stocked based on uh, throwing darts at a board. Mm. You know, so they had uh, they they would stock X-Men comics, but it was never sequential. So I'd read. Yeah issues one and two, and then six, you know, and you just <laughs> right, kind of yeah. tried to fill in the blanks. Um, but I was hooked. Um, I, and really it was uh, Kitty Pride that did it because right. she felt like me. Yeah. Like she could have been my buddy. She could have lived next door to me. We could have been mutants together. So I would write all <laughs> kinds of ridiculous yeah. fan fiction about me and Kitty Pride. That's we were awesome. best buds. That's awesome. Yeah, no. no, the the TV shows did it for me as well. I, I had a similar experience where it was like I always had like um, recordings. My my dad would help me record, but we'd always have like part one of a two part episode. Oh you know? yeah, <laughs> it was like until I was older, until I was like in my twenties, I never knew how any of those ended. But it was still like my absolute favorite thing, and definitely my doorway into the X Men universes. Um, so with this novel, with X Men Liberty and Justice for All, like obviously you know. You know the worlds. You've been a fan for a long time, um, but you pick a in really interesting road 
into uh, the characters that are the POV characters and then like specifically the time period of X-Men. And I'm curious, was this before we talk about the details and the specifics um, and, and for everyone listening, like this will be spoiler free uh, until I suggest it might not be. So I have like two questions <laughs> that could be <laughs> that could be considered spoilers, but otherwise this will be totally spoiler free. Um, and those will come at the end, I promise. So, okay, was this like your first pitch or was this a one of the pitches and this is just kind of where you netted out? Uh, it was one of them, but I was um, I was kind of looking at this time period for a number of reasons. Um, what they wanted to do was to give some spotlight time to characters that didn't, you know, they don't usually get it. Mm, um, yeah. So rather than focusing on the X-Men that you would see, for example, in the cinematic universe, um, or the ones that are that are kind of the the most famous. Um, For sure. They wanted to focus on some other people, and so what I decided to do was uh, take the the newbies um, and pair them with familiar faces. Yeah. Um, so that if you've only seen an X Men movie once and you're looking for something to read, there'll be something familiar. But if you've read all the comics, then uh, you know there are Easter eggs in there that, that you can still spot and enjoy, and so it's accessible to both. Definitely, definitely. No, it, it really has that feel. I, I think one thing that it, it's successful at is it feels like a little bit of that um, welcome to Hogwarts feel, mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, right, like which Xavier's Institute, I think at its best can kind of, can kind of have, especially in like the YA, like kind of category where it's, you know, you're a mutant, but the, the POV characters are young and unfamiliar, but they're dealing with the celebrities of the mutant world, right? They're dealing with yeah. Magneto overseeing their lunch and that's, yes. um, yeah. which is, which is fantastic. So the two characters you do settle on as your POV characters, we have triage and Tempest. Uh, what, uh, what led you to pick those two characters who are like fairly new creations. I think they're both created by at least during the, um, the Brian Michael Bendis run yep. on Uncanny. I'm going to guess with Chris uh, Bacalo on art. But um, what made you settle on those as the, the POVs? Well, one of the things that I thought, you know, I was I was kind of sitting and, and trying to figure out what are the strengths of telling one of these stories as a novel versus mm -hmm. a comic or a, or a film or a TV show. And um, I think, you know, there are some character moments that you can have in a novel that you can't quite get as deep into. Um, but also there's an opportunity for characters with, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say quieter powers mm. um, to really shine. And both Triage and Tempest have powers that aren't so flashy. You could argue that Tempest, you know, giant time bubbles, they're very visual. They look really cool. Yeah. Uh, but she freezes things and she unfreezes them, at least at this point. You know, later on in the timeline, she discovers that there are other things that she can do. But right now, it's stop and start. And triage as a healer, uh, that's about as unflashy as it comes. Right. And so I liked the idea of being able to play with some of the powers that you don't traditionally see. They're not super fast. They're not super strong. But how could you use those in a combat situation and how could you use them creatively? And that really appealed to me. That's interesting. That makes a lot of sense, right? Given that is because you're taking right characters that are built in a, a story that is built for the comic book medium, but then transitioning it to prose. 
that thought process I, I find really interesting where you're saying, yeah. okay, what are, what are actually the layers here that can't get explored in a comic where it's boom, 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 22 pages. And obviously like visuals are an enormous component and, and yeah. characters that don't have that power set stand out a little bit more. Um, so with Triage and Tempest too, so they, they kind of come into the scene during this era of X-Men in the early 2010s where um, actually like 2012 where, uh, Cyclops is leading like a covert school. We have Wolverine leading another. There's a schism, right, between the yeah. X-Men specifically. And and so we're we're in the Cyclops school side of things. What was it about this era and this setup for your X-Men school that um that you found appealing and that you wanted to explore uh, for your your first novel in this world? Well, I kind of love the fact that it's not the Xavier school that you expect. Yeah. Um, you know, they're at the Weapon X Institute. It is gross. It is not right. well organized. There's actually one issue of the comics where the girls all say, you have to take us clothes shopping. We have nothing to wear. <laughs> yeah. um, you Eating know, the same so, stale turkey sandwiches every day, that sort of thing, right? Yeah. 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 And so um, I liked the idea that this is really a, a, new, um, a new place for all of the characters. And it's kind of the beginning of something. Um, it also offers the opportunity to tell stories at either one of the schools. So uh, you've got a lot of ground to work with, which I like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nice. And, that... and the other thing is just that because they're students, you kind of want uh, you want them to have some freedom. And because this school is so disorganized, that makes that a little more realistic and believable, I think. Mm. Right. Um, as opposed to at the at the Xavier School, where everything is working like clockwork, and if some kids go missing, you're gonna you're gonna notice right away. Yeah, I do like that. No, and it's it's that sense too of the X Men being on the run and hunted, kind of from jump, you know, yeah. because that's where Cyclops and his crew are at yeah. in this era, and the students are like they've been rescued by Cyclops and the team, you know, from whether it's mutant hunting Sentinels or Shield or whatever. Um, that feared and hated component of the X-Men universe is baked in yeah. from Jump, which I, I think helps sell the pressures that they're feeling. So yeah. how, how long were you working on uh, this novel? Like, at what point did you start? Um, well, I started kind of going back and forth and pitching it last fall. Um, so this was a quick, yeah. very quick process. Um, but I think one of the things that, that made it easier was that there was a lot of back and forth with the with the pitch and the outline um, to make sure that I was fitting into canon, that I was doing what they wanted, that that this was a direction that they wanted to go. So we nailed down and and banged out a lot of the problems before I even started to draft. Hmm. And and I think that made it a lot easier to step into the world because it's so huge. Right. When you say fitting into canon there, is that coordinating like what? Okay, we're we're building out um, this Xavier Institute lineup of prose novels. Mm -hmm. Is that like selecting from the comics legacy? What do we want to keep? What do we want to hold in? Like, what what is the process of the world building as far as deciding like what counts, what happens, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how other people have approached it. I'd actually be interested to hear myself. Yeah. But uh, what I did was I went to the comics, I read all the comics from that era, and I decided my story is going to fit between these two issues. 
um, because then I've got a very clear understanding of this has happened and this hasn't, mm. period. Yeah. Um, and so I don't necessarily, you know, because they've done some jiggery with the timeline as to exactly what year it is, but I know sure. exactly what has happened. Oh, I love that. Okay, awesome. Yeah, because yeah, you're so you reference uh, a very specific event that does happen in that Uncanny X Men run, um, which is you know the X Men getting trapped in limbo and and Dormammu showing up. Right, that's a huge component of this novel. I did not connect the dots that it, so I knew it was after that. I did yeah. not connect the dots that it was literally like okay, it's between point A and point B being two specific issue numbers. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, and as a big comic geek, I think. Um, that's an advantage that you can bring to the table is say, I, I know this world. Um, mm -hmm. and I wanted, I wanted to write a book that as a fan, I would like to read and it makes me feel cool to read stuff and go, I know what that's from. So yeah, right, hopefully right. other people will feel the same way. Do you remember what issue numbers they are <laughs> Not to uh, on the spot? Either before or after issue 15 of the Bendis Uncanny. Yeah. Fine. Okay. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes for people. Cause I, I actually think that could be a fun cross media experience to be like, read this issue, then read the novel, then jump back into your, your X-Men read over. Yeah. In comics, you know? Well, and I can actually, I'll, I'll look it up and make sure that that's the right number and I'll send it over to you. Perfect. Sounds yeah. awesome. Cool. Cool. So you kind of alluded to this saying, um, you know, you're building out this world. We have the Cyclops school that he's leading currently in this, you know, rundown weapon X facility. But then we know, uh, back in New York or back in Westchester, Wolverine is leading the Jean Grey school. And you yes. mentioned, you know, that's somewhere where, so our shared universe plans for X books already in the works, something you're just kind of baking in and kicking around in your head. Um, where, where are you at with that? Well, you know, this, uh, this series is kind of interesting in that there are multiple authors all writing in the same line in the same universe. Mm -hmm. And um, so I know there is another uh, Xavier's novel coming up. Um, I don't know what they've announced about it, so I'm not going to say anything because sure, yeah. I might, you know, the Marvel ninjas will come down from the ceiling. Um, <laughs> know, but, yeah. Right. Um, but so they're they're doing more books in the series. I'm mm -hmm. um, kind of building off of what has come before, but each one will be standalone. And certainly I'm crossing all my crossables that I get to do some more too. Yeah, right. For sure. No, cool. yeah. I, I think that'd be great. Uh, one thing I thought that the novel does it, it very well is it sells how scary being a young mutant in the X-Men's line of work should feel. Um, you know, and you couple that too in this book with Christopher's, Christopher being triage, his status as a young black mutant in this world as well. Um, I think the mutant metaphor is more relevant every day. You know, we're seeing like, obviously like this year particularly has highlighted a lot of the ways that it is relevant. It is meant to extend to, you know, oppressed minorities in, in our own country. How did you approach integrating that into your work? Was that part of the selection process in terms of, of focusing on triage as well um, to give those kind of voices more attention? Uh, well, certainly it was something that, that I thought was important. If anything, I was worried that I might not be able to do the best job of it. Um, I am a suburban white woman. Um, I am a member of the LGBTQ community. So I do bring that experience to the table, but uh, I can walk down the street and uh, nobody will bug me. Right. So, um, you know, I think 
that the mutant metaphor is super important, like you said, especially in this time period. And and just if you're going to address it, you need to address it in a respectful and accurate way. Um, I had multiple very kind readers who looked things over for me and gave their lived perspective. Mm -hmm. So um, I hope we did a good job. And um, I think these stories need to be told. Yeah, no, great. And, and I think it does come across successfully from my perspective. Um, it, with Triage and Tempest 2, were these characters that you really had an affinity for prior to writing this? Or did you grow to love them as you were drafting this out? Uh, Tempest I loved. Yeah. Um, she, you know, and, and she's kind of in my wheelhouse. I like um, strong, spunky female characters because then I can pretend they're my buddies like Kitty. Um, yeah. <laughs> I never quite grew out of it, I don't think. But um, Tempest, uh, Triage, not so much, except that anytime I'm playing a game, I almost always play the healer. Mm. So uh, I really loved the idea of um, playing a healer character or writing a healer character that, that got a chance to be the hero instead of the guy at the back who waits for the stronger mutants to do things and then comes in and cleans up. Yeah, um, yeah. No, there's, there's a real uh, video game yeah. feel to, to his inner dialogue, I thought, early on, where he's like, this isn't a cool power. I just sit back and wait and help people. You know, it's something he's wrestling with yeah. in terms of his own mutant ability, for sure. Um, cool. No, that, that's awesome. In, in the intro, there's a, a special thanks to the X-Men group editor, current X-Men comics group editor, Jordan D. White. I'm curious, what kind of role did Jordan and Marvel Comics have in the book's creation, if any, in terms of like notes, feedback, stuff you can, can't do, anything like that? Um, I did get a bunch of feedback from the Marvel folks, and they were absolutely terrific. That all comes kind of, it gets funneled through Aconite, just, mm -hmm. I think, to keep the uh, number of emails to a minimum. Um, so I didn't have personal um, interaction with Jordan, but I can say that, that the feedback that I got from uh, the folks at Marvel made the book a thousand times better, and they're geniuses. And I have this mental picture of, you know, because you send over the manuscript and it comes back with all these notes saying, did this happen yet in the timeline, read this. Mm -hmm. And I have this mental picture of a bunch of Marvel experts in a big room with a wall of comics in front yeah. of them. And I would like to visit that. <laughs> right, definitely. We um, I, I do a, a reading club through the site called My Marvelous Year, where we go through Marvel history, yeah. and uh, we had the chance to interview Anna Senti, um, longtime editor writer on the X Line, and and she recently alluded to, yeah, that like almost that exact room, like a room of all the Marvel comics, and I was just like, if somebody could dump me in there like, for an hour, <laughs> I'd be in heaven. Oh, amazing. for an hour, I want to live there. I'm oh, gonna bring yeah, my, right. I'm gonna bring my um, sleeping bag. And I'm going to camp. <laughs> That's awesome. Very nice. Very cool. Uh, okay. So getting a little bit into spoiler territory here. And again, like I'm not going to spoil outcomes so much as just mentioning characters that show up. So if you would rather wait, read the novel, I, I recommend bouncing here uh, at this point. Okay. So I want to talk about some characters that do show up. Three, two, one. Here we go. Sabretooth. <laughs> He's probably the biggest, most well-known player that, that you get to write here. Um, first question, why Sabretooth? Why did you want to have him be this uh, really kind of like center of where the action really takes off and the book becomes kind of what it's going to be? 
Uh, Sabretooth is one of my favorite characters of all time. Mm. Um, one of my favorite villains because he kind of, uh, he is not redeemable. I actually read an article, um, uh, an interview, and I'm trying to think of who it was because, of course, there are a lot of terrific writers who have touched Sabretooth, but whoever it was was talking about the fact that he shouldn't be redeemed. Yeah. Um, the stuff that he's done is just that bad, and he doesn't really want it. And so putting him in a position where uh, he has to toe the line is very interesting to me. And then figuring out how he deals with that, because we see Sabretooth being a, a big bad guy. We see him fighting. Um, we haven't, there are a few moments, but generally speaking, you don't get a chance to see him as a guy mm -hmm. who has stuff in his pockets. There's a moment where uh, Triage <laughs> yeah. has his coat and he's like, uh, I bet you there's bullets in here. But Andy, Andy pulled out a wallet at one point, and I was like, yeah. and the thought of Sabretooth carrying a wallet to me yeah. was such a funny detail. <laughs> but I'm but like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. He has to carry his money somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so I really liked the idea of playing with that. Um, Sabretooth was actually my favorite character to write. At, at one point when I was drafting, I said to my husband that there might be something wrong with me because his voice came really easy. <laughs> and yeah. I was a little worried. Mm -hmm. He is a, a concerning character. No, I think you you give Sabretooth um, a depth of humanity that is super rare for the character. I was actually like kind of debating. I was like, wait, maybe this is kind of alt X Men, where maybe we're playing now with like him being more aligned with the team historically, even though he's because he's he reads closer to Wolverine than he often gets to in the sense mm -hmm. that uh, he just feels more human, right? And he has interactions that are nice. like And this, it's a part of the book, right? There's a purpose to it for sure. Um, but a lot of the interactions he has with these young X-Men, Triage and Tempest, I'm like, oh, I kind of like Sabretooth, this completely irredeemable person from what we know him doing. And, and it's not like he's not violent in the book either, right? We see plenty right. of that as well. Well, so, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting because there are periods in the timeline where he does work with the X-Men. Mm -hmm, right. um, you know, in, in the comic timeline, and and he doesn't necessarily do it nicely. Mm -hmm. um, but he does show that when it aligns with his goals, he's able to work as a part of a team. Right. So the question becomes, what are his goals? And that's where I will stop. <laughs> right, Talking. for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. Um, Speaking of irredeemable, the other character that ties into this, related to Sabretooth, quite literally, is Graydon Creed. This is an especially difficult character, I think, to to write and to kind of weave into an X-Men story, especially in 2020, um, given his anti-mutant presidential campaign, right? That this happens in the comics. You you bring it up here. It very much mirrors, you know, I think what we're seeing in America in a lot of ways. Um, and, and that's not hidden in the prose yep. what was important to you writing this character where there's a similar there's that similar thing of totally irredeemable yet finding humanity in conversations this character has how did you navigate that specifically because because great and creed actually feels harder to me i don't know if you'd agree than even Sabretooth, who's on who's almost more on that comic book mm -hmm. violence that comic book evil level whereas yeah. graden's like real evil if that yeah that's yeah well, and you know, I like 
I like villains, although you can argue that that maybe these two don't serve a villain role in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like villains that have um, have a reason for doing the things that they do. Yeah. Um, and you know, just like heroes are forced to question why they're doing the things that they do, why they're putting their lives on the line, why they're um, giving up everything in the pursuit of this ideal, whatever that ideal might be. Uh, I like the idea of of bad guys being forced to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt like pairing uh, Triage and Tempest up with uh, some people who are not necessarily trustworthy and forcing them to decide what they're going to do about it keeps the elder mutant, um, you know, and elder characters from, from being mentors and making all the decisions. Mm-hmm. And it also creates some really interesting dilemmas. Yeah. So that's why I went that way. Sure. Sure. No, it makes sense. It's, it's a good read. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I have to admit like heading into it, I got, you know, so I got my copy and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll read the intro here and come up with some questions. And like, you know, basically I'll just keep reading until I have a feel for it. And then I just read the whole thing. <laughs> so I feel like that's a, a good sign as far as the, the pace and the, the subject matter. Um, it definitely kept me engaged and, and I was interested. I also, without spoiling anything, I really appreciated how the time period that you mentioned in the comics uh, is very deliberate in terms of the story that gets told. Like it, it really connects. So, all right, let's, let's talk to um, when you're writing an X-Men prose novel, I imagine like there's a lot of stuff you want to do that gets left on the cutting room floor. What are some of the bigger things that, that you can remember that you're like, I really wish I had space for this, but I just don't. What got left out? Um, well, there were actually quite a few saber tooth moments that I felt were accurate to him, uh, but did not make the cut simply because they were a little bit too, uh, well, too sweary, too violent, mm. too yeah. saber tooth. Uh, you know, because you want to write a book um, and and put out a book that is accessible to everyone and but still gets the character across. Um, so there were a few saber tooth moments that I thought were really hilarious um, or or extra cool, uh, but that they say just a little too far. A little too much. Yeah. Which, which he can be, which, which is yes. true to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, kind of as an interesting side note, you know, the, the title Liberty and Justice for All uh, came about because it was originally set at the mansion. And instead of going to uh, Triage and Tempest are in the X-Copter, and instead of flying to the museum, they fly to the Liberty Bell. Uh, okay, yeah. So that's where the title came from. But then as we shifted <laughs> it, funny. it yeah. was like, well, you know, this is still kind of the theme of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's really about this whole world that they're living in and whether or not they have a place um, whether or not they have the freedom to make their own choices and whether or not they'll choose the right thing. Um, so the title still fits, but, uh, that's where it came from. Interesting. Did you shift it to Chicago specifically for Bob, which I think is a reference only readers will get. (laughs) (laughs) I may have thought about that. Uh, yeah. I'm from Chicago. So I, I totally got (laughs) what, what was happening there. Yeah. 
Well, and I did say I put some Easter eggs in there, so uh, that is one of them. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. All right, what is up next for you? Um, what do you What do you have on the horizon, or just like things you want to plug about work that's coming out? Well, like I said, um, you know, I'm I'm really hoping for the opportunity to write another uh, Marvel book, but uh, those things move at a glacial pace, so just keep your fingers crossed for me. Um, but uh, what I'm working on now is a book, a standalone book called Elder God Dance Squad, which is um, uh, Bring It On meets Stranger Things. Nice, nice. And so I'm pretty excited about that one. Where uh, can people find that stuff? Uh, people can find all my stuff, old and new, at CarrieHarrisBooks.com. Okay, perfect. We'll include that in the okay. show notes as well. And then X-Men Liberty and Justice for All, I believe... I said, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, is it November 3rd it comes out? Yep. Is that right? So it's coming out on election day. It um, is. It's a big it's a big release day. Yeah. Uh, and then it'll be out, I'm sure, all of November. So people can check that out. Again, I'll include links here in the show notes. Uh, yeah, this was fun. This is a good read. I enjoyed it. I'm really curious to see more from this line. Um, I, I've had a, uh, like, my own fandom is definitely influenced by prose adaptations uh, or not even adaptations prose novels of x-men stuff i don't know if you've ever heard of or read the uh, the chaos engine trilogy yep yeah those yeah. were like a huge in for me for loving x-men and alternate reality stories i have i, I got a copy a few years back because i was like yeah. I, I read these when i was like a teen and like it oh, just yeah. cemented i think i have a it. copy right over there actually amazing amazing yeah. okay cool so yeah no so, so i recommend people check it out again links to everything will be in the show notes carrie this is a blast thanks so much for your time and uh we'll look for more from you here in the future this was so much fun thanks <laughs>